If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to the Gospel of John this morning. Gospel of John, John chapter 17. We're going to look at the, uh, this is what I think can rightly be called the, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we call the Lord's Prayer that you find in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, we call that the Lord's Prayer. But that's not really the Lord's Prayer, uh, because that is not a prayer that Jesus could pray for himself. Jesus was sinless, and in that prayer he says, forgive us our sins. That's the prayer that he gives to us to pray to the Father. Uh, But this is the Lord's prayer. This is the prayer that he prays uh, just a few hours before he goes to the cross. Uh, I remember something vividly from uh, from my childhood. At Christmas time, we would go and visit my uh, grandparents, my granny and my pawpaw in Homa, Louisiana. And we would go a few days before Christmas and spend time with them. And around the kitchen table, my papa would, uh, would uh, always have some games planned for us. Uh, very often he would play card games uh, with, um, with the adults. Uh, and it was always an interesting time where we as children could gather around and listen to the conversations that uh, the parents were, happen- uh, were having. Most of them were appropriate. Um, some of them weren't. It was always interesting. Every now and then, though, my papa would stop speaking in English and would speak to my granny in French. It would just switch in an instance. He would just start speaking in French, and everyone would get quiet, and we would listen to my granny and my papa speaking French to each other. Uh, and we were amazed, especially the children, just amazed that they would... They, they could switch uh, languages just like that. And, and we knew that they were talking about us, right? <laughs> Whenever you overhear a conversation like this and people speaking another language and you're there, you know that they're speaking about you. And what I always imagined was that they were speaking to each other about the Christmas presents they were going to buy us. And they didn't want to talk about those things in front of us. But uh, who knows what they were really saying. But it was always an interesting thing. And, and in that conversation, listening to them speak, you wanted to be a part of it. You were drawn into that. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to know my granny and my papa as well as they know each other. And the language that, that they were speaking to each other indicated that intimacy. It was only for themselves. Now, in what we see today is perhaps the greatest and most important conversation in all of human history. And it comes to us in the form of a prayer. It's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, speaking to his Father. But instead of this being in a language that is not able to be understood, or or, uh, speaking in a way that we are left out, I want you to understand this. Jesus invites us as his people into this conversation. He invites us into this extremely intimate discussion, prayer that he is having with his Father. We are not shut out from this. And it's an amazing thing to see this because we get to see what Jesus really wants, what his heart's desire for his people is And he knows this is just hours before he goes to the cross and faces the the agony of the cross and the suffering and the shame and all of those things and, and feeling the rejection of his father. And yet this is what he prays with all of that in mind. So I'm going to read the all 26 verses of this for us and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding it. So let's read this. 
This is God's good and kind word to you today. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake... I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me will be in them and I in them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to bless uh, this word for us. Our Father, we thank you for giving us uh, your word today. I pray that it it would be life-giving to us as you have promised it to be. pray that we would see the light of the world in your Son, Jesus Christ. And that his prayers may be fulfilled and answered uh, according to your great mercy and your love for him. uh, That all of his prayers for us would be yes and amen. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So I want to look at this passage in four ways today. Um, Essentially, Jesus prays uh, for four things from the Father. Four things. 
Uh, and so we're going to look at those four things that he, he prays for in this chapter. In verses 1 through 10, the very first thing that Jesus prays for is glory. He prays for glory. And, and look at what he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Before he says that, he says, the hour has come. And if we had read through all through the book of John, uh, that was a theme in John. Uh, we didn't have time, obviously, to read through all of this. But if you do read through it, you'll see where Jesus says over and over, the time has not come. The hour has not come. It is not time yet. And now, in chapter 17, he says, the hour has come. And what Jesus has come to do is about to be finished. And he says, now, Father, because... All of these things are finished because he says that. He says, you know, I've done the work. In verse 4, I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished, it's as good as finished. I've accomplished these things. He says, now because of that, glorify me. And I just want to pause there for a minute and just note, isn't that a presumptuous thing to pray for? What if I were to stand up in the pulpit and say, Lord, glorify me today. You would rightly think, well, that's very arrogant for Kelly to pray that. And it would be arrogant for any of us to pray that because we are not Jesus. Jesus has the right to pray, Lord, glorify me even as I glorify you. Why does Jesus have the right to pray for that? Because he is glorious in and of himself because Jesus is God. And has eternally been glorified. He can pray for the Lord to glorify him. Because he is glory. But notice Jesus doesn't pray, Lord glorify me so that I can get all the attention and I can, everybody can see how great I am. Why does Jesus want, for him, why does Jesus want to receive glory? <clears throat> Jesus wants to receive glory so that he can glorify the Father. He says, Lord give me glory. Because I had it before I came in my humiliation, being born of a woman, being born under the law, and all of those various things that you see at Christmas time. I had glory before I was here. Give it back to me, Father. Give it back to me because I've finished the work that you've given me. It says, I've accomplished salvation for your people. So give me the glory. And the main focus that Jesus has is not himself, but it's the glory of the Father. Because what Jesus wants more than anything else is for us to know that, that his Father is glorious. For us to see his Father, to know him. And he prays this very thing for the glory of the Father just again a few hours before he goes to the cross and faces the wrath of the Father. Jesus loves the Father so much, loves the Father so that even in the midst of his pain and anguish, and all of the things that he is about to go through, he still wants the Father to be glorified. And that is an amazing thing for us to see, the heart of Jesus, who wants the Father to be glorified. And then he prays something else in this, in these verses. He says, Lord, glorify me and then glorify them, the disciples, because of me. Or glorify me in the disciples. <coughs> He wants for the disciples, his people, to be glorified as well in Jesus. It's not a glory in themselves or of themselves. It's not something that, that they are or that they have done for themselves. 
but he wants them to be glorified in himself. And this is essentially what Jesus is doing. He's giving us a definition of a Christian. The definition, uh, definition of a Christian is one indwelled by the glory of Jesus Christ. He says, Lord, make them so much so glorious so that I am seen in every single thing that they do. Lord, Father, make them glorious because of me. And what he's praying there is that our lives as Christians would be about Christ, about his glory. That we would live for him in his glorious kingdom, not for ourselves. But that we would be about giving glory to Jesus. And because Jesus is about giving glory to his Father, that we then would be about giving glory to the Father as well. That's the first thing that Jesus prays. He says, Lord, glorify me so that I can glorify you and glorify me in my people. That's the first thing. And then verses 11 through 16, we see the second thing. He prays for safekeeping. He prays for our safekeeping. And uh, so look there. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Verse 11. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. He repeats that a few times. Keep them in your name. What I need to just remind you right off the bat in this is that Jesus does not pray for our safety. He is not praying for our safety. But he is praying for our safe keeping. He says, Lord, keep them in your name. What's the difference between those two things? Jesus does not pray that we would be removed from the suffering and trials and tribulations of the world. He does not pray for for God the Father to just take us out of the world. As a matter of fact, he says, Father, they are in the world. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world, but they are in the world. And while they are in the world, keep them with yourself. God, or Jesus could have prayed that the Father would just take us out of the world, couldn't he? He could have prayed that That we wouldn't face any suffering, any trial, any tribulation, no hardship at all. But that wasn't his purpose. Instead, he says, keep them in your name while they're going through all the trials and the suffering. While they're being persecuted. While the world is hating them, Father, keep them in your name. And he says that a couple times. In the name. What does it mean to be kept in the name of the Father. Well, you have to understand what covenant theology and the naming and covenant theology. And when Jesus says, keep them in your name, he's going all the way back to Exodus chapter two, or chapter 3 when, when God introduces himself to Moses. And Moses says, when I tell the people, who should I tell them is, is or their God? And God says, you shall tell them, I am who I am and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And we know I am who I am. That name that God gives is Yahweh. Yahweh. What Jesus says is keep them in your name. Lord, keep them in your covenant name. Keep them according to your covenant promises. God has said, God the Father has said, I have loved these people with a steadfast and loyal love that I will not remove from them. Essentially what Jesus is praying for, God's 
covenant love and protection over us, meaning regardless of what happens in the world, regardless of what we are like, and regardless of what we, are, we uh, will do, that we are kept in the Father. Meaning this, we have eternal security because of Jesus. He prays for our eternal security. Now, you say, well, we might just be praying for the disciples' eternal security. No. Remember in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is the word of God. This is the word of the apostles that has been delivered to us through these many years. And if we believe in Jesus through the word of the apostles, this prayer is for us. And so Jesus prays for your eternal security so that if you are in Jesus, there is not a thing that will take the Father's love away from you. You have him and you are eternally kept in the Father. Now that should do something for us. If you have that kind of eternal security, it needs to change who you and I are and what you and I do. If we are eternally secure, um, in fact, if we are eternally secure, and we are if we have faith, then we should have confidence in the world in which we live. We should know that there's nothing that can happen that will take it away from us. We can go forth on the mission that he's given us, and I'll talk more about that here in a moment but it is a hard thing to remember in the world that that we live in and that's why jesus prays you know in this world they're going to face many trials it is going to be hard and the world is going to hate them and yet we need to remember that we are eternally secure in jesus christ and it should make us joyful and he says that's why he goes on to talk about joy he says lord make my joy complete in them and make them joyful because the greatest thing that we need is something that cannot be taken away from us. It's something that cannot be ruined. It's something that cannot fade away. Our eternal security is wrapped up in Jesus with the Father. And that's Jesus' concern because he knows how hard life is. He knows our weakness and our frailty. And he knows that we need to be kept Notice that's not something that we do. He doesn't say, Father, help them keep themselves. He says, keep them with yourself. So he prays for a safekeeping. Thirdly, in verses 17 through 20, he prays for our sanctification. He prays for our sanctification. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So what is sanctification? What, is, what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, there's a couple different ways that we can define that word, but essentially it means holiness. So I want you to understand this, that what Jesus wants from you is holiness. So you can say it this way, make them holy in your truth, Father, because your, world is, your word is truth. Verse 19, and for their sake, he says, I have made myself holy, even though he was holy before, so that they also may be holy in truth. Another way to say it is to be set apart for God. That's what sanctification is, to be set apart for God. And this is what God's will is for your life. And and all over and all throughout our life, we're bombarded with a message of what God wants for, for us. 
And everywhere we go, in every area and sphere of life, there's a message. Uh, and we're told that God wants something for us. And you can go to Hollywood. Hollywood has a very specific message about what God wants for us. And you know what Hollywood says God wants? Hollywood says that God wants us to be happy over anything else. And then, of course, they give a very specific definition of happiness. For them, happiness is whatever we want. And so what Hollywood does is they say, basically, you're God and you can determine what happiness is. New York actually has this question behind what it's doing. And it says, you know, what is God's will for you in in the city of New York and all the things that go along with that? What New York essentially says is the message that that they want to get out is that what God wants for you is to have power and authority. That you were made to be powerful. Uh, That's kind of the message of the United States as well in many ways, but out of New York you certainly get that. To be powerful, uh, successful, authoritative, that's what you get. Washington has a message uh, about what God's will for your life is. You know what Washington wants more than anything else? Washington says you should be subservient. (laughs) That's what they want from us, is to just be subservient, just to give give them uh, the money that we have and just do what they say. That's, That's what they would say God wants for your life. But God doesn't want any of those things. God ultimately isn't concerned about your happiness. He isn't ultimately concerned about your power or authority. And he isn't concerned about your service or you being subservient. Now, all of those things are things that he asks for us to do. But all of those things flow from this, that what God wants more than anything else is for us to be holy. Because what Jesus prays here is for us to be like God. Because God is holy. And that's what Jesus' prayer is. is. I want you, Jesus says, to be like God. And you need to understand something. You were made to be like God. You were made to be like God. And all you have to do is go back to the very beginning uh, chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1, where we're told that we were made in the likeness of God, that we were made in His image. The problem is that Satan came in Genesis chapter 3 and said, Oh, you want to be like God? I'll I'll let you be like God. All you have to do is to be disobedient. Is to to not do what God wants you to do. And then you will be like God. That's the lie of Satan. He says, and what you really want is to be like God in knowledge. And Jesus doesn't pray for us to be like God in his knowledge. What he wants is to be like God in his character. In his holiness. Jesus offers the same kind of thing that Satan offered In Genesis 3, but this is the real thing that we need to be like God, to be holy, to be set apart by God and for God, for our lives to be about him and for his glory. Now, why is that such a big deal? Why is it so important for us to be like God? Well, Hebrews 12.4 says that without holiness, no one sees God. Actually, what it says is without holiness, no one sees the Lord. That in order for you and I to be to see God, to be fully fulfilled and satisfied in Him, we have to be holy. And so Jesus prays that we would be holy like God is holy. So, so far, these are the three things that we've seen. Jesus prays for glory, He prays for safekeeping, and He prays for sanctification, for holiness. Fourthly, this is what He prays for. Unity. In 21 through 26, 
that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, In some ways, this is not uh, actually a request from Jesus. He isn't saying, Lord, I pray that you would make them one, but in fact, this is a result of the other three, a result of the glory of Jesus and the safekeeping uh, of his people and the holiness of his people, that in all of those things, there's going to be a result that flows from that. And what is that result? The result is unity, that the disciples would be together, unified. And what Jesus does is he says, this is the paradigm or the model of unity that I want my people to follow. Just as God the Father and God the Son are unified together, that's the kind of unity that I want my people to have as well. And Father, they need to have this unity. And indeed what he says is, Father, since you and I are one and they are in me, guess what? You and I are unified. That, that idea of being unified the way that God the Father and God the Son are. Uh, in John chapter 1, when we're told that the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God and was God, um, or is God, what we're told there, that word with, is actually the, a word that can mean facing each other. That eternally, God the Father and God the Son face each other. And that there is an unbroken relationship. And they are so unified that there's nothing that will tear them apart. And Jesus prays the exact same thing for us, that we would have that kind of unity. The kind of unity that that nothing would be able to, to get in between, that nothing would be able to tear us apart. The kind of unity that's unbroken. That you and I would be unified also with the Father. Do you get that? That we would have the same kind of unity with the Father that Jesus has. That that we would be eternally facing the Father even as the Son is eternally facing the Father. It's the kind of unity that means that that there is nothing hidden, no secrets. That that there's no darkness in between any of them. And he prays that for us as well. What he prays for in this is pure intimacy. Pure intimacy. That we would know the Father even as the Father knows us. Um, there's a saying that, uh, that I think is, is true, that our greatest need, it's not clothing, it's not security, it's not any of those things, but our greatest need is to know and to be known. Those are our two greatest needs. And they're essentially one and the same, to know and to be known. And that's what we ultimately really want, because we were made by God to be known by Him. And that's the, that's the key. We were made to be known by God and we were made to know God. But we are searching for God in all the wrong places. We're looking for love in all the wrong places, right? That's what we are like. We're we're going all over the place. And there uh, there was an author in in the uh, 1900s, mid-1900s, he wrote a book. Um, This quote is normally uh, attributed to C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, but neither one of them said this. This is a guy, I think his name was Bruce Marshall, and he wrote this in his book, that every knock on the brothel door is an unconscious attempt to find God. And and essentially what what he's saying, and this is in the words of a Catholic priest um, in, in in his book, but what he's saying there is that that every man that goes to a brothel is is unconsciously looking for God, looking for something to complete him. 
And we are looking all over the place for something to complete us, for something uh, to, to make us satisfied. We will go to alcohol, we'll go to, people will go to drugs, people will go to, uh, we'll, we'll try to get power and authority and success and wealth. And behind everything that we do, it's ultimately this, this whole need that we have to be known, but also to, to know. And the amazing thing here is in this prayer, in this intimate conversation between the Father and the Son, Jesus prays that we would be fully known by God the Father, but not only by God the Father, by each other as well, that we would have unity, that we would be satisfied with our relationships, that the ones that are in this room, because we're in Christ, we would be fulfilled in our relationships and have that kind of unity. Jesus prays that we would find that in God and in each other and nowhere else. It also means this, that um, because Jesus prays for our unity, um, it means that we are unified. We actually are unified. If we have the Spirit in us and there is one Spirit, then it doesn't matter what kind of Christian we are. If we have the Spirit, we are unified in Christ. So Presbyterian, Methodist, believers that are Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, (laughs) we are one in spirit because of Jesus Christ. Lutherans as well, that we are one with them because this is what Jesus prays for. It means that It doesn't mean that we have to agree on every jot and tittle of theology, and in fact, there are important distinctions that are made. But Jesus says, Lord, he doesn't pray this. Jesus doesn't say, make them as unified as they are, they are able to be. <laughs> make them as unified uh, as much as they are able to get along with each other and then no more. He says, Lord, make them as unified as we are together. So it means that right now we are unified with him. And it means that we are currently seated with him in the heavenly places. Because there's an unbroken chain between us and in Jesus. We are united to him. It's an amazing thing. So in conclusion, what's the point of all this? Um, Jesus again prays all of this mere hours before his death. And his focus wasn't on himself, it was on others. And that's, we see the beautiful sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. The only way for these prayers to be answered was for Jesus to be sacrificially loving toward us. He prays for his father, he prays for his disciples, he prays for us. And in that he says, Lord, do all of these things because you sent me on a mission. And because Jesus says, I've been sent on a mission, he sends us on a mission as well. And the mission is that we would be, that we would glorify Jesus so that others would want Jesus. That we would be sanctified and holy so that others would want to be sanctified and holy as well. So that we would be unified together so that others would want Jesus and want that unity as well. We are God's people on a mission. And this week, here's an amazing thing. Um, There are all kinds of people all over the world that are talking about Christian things because of this week. You're going to go to work, you're going to go and see people, you're going, to, you're going to get to have conversations, and their minds are automatically on the things of Jesus. So go and do these things. Talk about Jesus with them. 
Share Jesus with them. Talk about the reason for Passion Week and what Jesus did in his passion. We are on a mission just like Jesus is. And he sends us out because we have been kept safe by him. Because we have unity. Because we have sanctification. Because Jesus has glorified himself in us. You can't lose it. Then go forward and tell others about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message, and I pray that we would take it to heart, that we would uh, show the unity that we have in Christ, that we would not let uh, the petty things of this world and, and the sin that we have in our heart to get in the way of our unity. And Father, we thank you that nothing that we can do can take away uh, from the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray these things in his name. Amen.